Uh, I want to ask a question. How many of you have, you have seen uh, the TV series Game of Thrones? Oh, yeah, some, nobody. Yeah. Well, is this actually a good thing or a bad thing? Not very sure. Okay, so uh, in the Game of Thrones, there is a character called uh, Brienne of Tar. I'm going to try to tell her story without too many spoilers. Uh, maybe you're not going to watch it, right? Okay. So at some point in the HBO TV series, Brienne of Tarth pledges her allegiance to Lady Catelyn Stark. This is here, that, that particular scene. Then she's sent on a mission to exchange a prisoner for her lady's daughters. When Brienne arrives at her destination, she finds out that Lady Stark has been murdered. There's a major spoiler for a pastor who hasn't seen that season. Other warriors would have taken uh, this as a sign that they've been released from their vow. I mean, after all, your employer is dead, no more job, right? But not Brienne. Even though her lady is not around, Brienne decides to find her daughters and offer to serve them to fulfill her vow. An honourable character like Brienne of Tarth is hard to come by even in television. Her story is a textbook example of what it means to pledge allegiance. It means to make a public declaration to follow, to belong with somebody regardless of what happens. And indeed, in spite of rejections, in spite of temptations to give up, Brienne never left her service. She pledged her allegiance and she stuck to it even when her mistress died. The way Brienne takes her vow so seriously helps us to understand, especially those of you who have watched Game of Thrones, helps us to understand how we should respond to what Jesus says at the beginning of Luke chapter 12. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Here, to acknowledge means to profess allegiance. In other words, Jesus is demanding his disciples to make a public commitment to follow him, to belong with him, come what may. Therefore, even though our master is not physically with us here, we must not leave his service, whatever happens. The word of God this morning reminds us of a couple of things that can cause us to turn away from our Lord Jesus Christ. Opposition by people around us. Other people's opinions about our Lord. Yet in spite of these things, we are called to pledge our lives to him because the final judgment is coming. Our text today is a collection of Jesus' teachings at the end of Luke 12. There are four teachings here and they appear to have occurred on the, day, on the same day which begins in Luke 11 and ends in Luke 13. Very long day, a lot of things happen. We must read these teachings in the context of that day in order to grasp the fuller meaning. So let's start with the easier ones. First, the teaching about the final judgment and Jesus' role in it in verses 49 to 50. I came to cast fire on earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Cast fire on the earth is a metaphor for divine judgment, because God does use fire to punish people uh, in Israel. His prophet Elijah, for example, called down fire from heaven to consume the soldiers of Ahaziah. Therefore, when Jesus says he came to cast fire on the earth, he means he brings divine judgment upon the world. 
Yet, Jesus' divine judgment is not the kind Elijah delivered. In fact, Jesus rebuked James and John when they wanted to call fire down from heaven to consume a Samaritan village. So Jesus' fire is not your usual prophetic judgment, but a once and for all final judgment. And this final judgment will not take place until Jesus has been baptised. Since Jesus has already been baptised at the Jordan, baptism here cannot refer to water baptism. Turns out that baptism has another meaning, which is an extraordinary experience. Oh, no wonder an extraordinary experience of the Holy Spirit is called baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um. But although we associate baptism with positive spiritual experiences today, in the past, baptism is a metaphor for suffering, even martyrdom. It conveys the sense that the ordeal overwhelms the person like he's drowning in water. Since Jesus is distressed, even impatient about this baptism, there is no doubt that he is pointing to the cross. In short, Jesus is warning the thousands of people who have gathered to listen to him that day that he is bringing a final judgment on humankind. And this will take place after Jesus has suffered and died. What is going to happen at the final judgment? Luke didn't record this, so we have to turn to Matthew's account. In Matthew 25, Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the, place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. At the final judgment, each person will either go into everlasting bliss or endless suffering. Imagine for a moment what endless suffering would be like. Actually, no need to imagine. In his National Day message this year, our Prime Minister highlighted that worsening conditions between various nations, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, disrupted supply chains, rising food and energy prices around the world, and escalating cost of living threaten our lives. All this after two years of circuit breaker and safe management measures because of COVID-19. I believe this is one of the darkest National Day messages we've ever heard in our lifetime. We have been suffering, one thing after another, seemingly without end. To add on to these things, we are watching with bated breath how the tension between China and Taiwan and the US will play out. And just yesterday, another earthquake in the Philippines. But even as we suffer the effects of war, famine and earthquakes in these last days, we are reminded today that the final judgment is worse than all that we may suffer here on earth. The coming fire of Jesus is more frightening than the coming 9% GST. And there are things in hell which are more terrifying than $11 subtypum. Perspective. This means that while there's much to be concerned about in the present world, we should be all the more concerned about the world to come. 
We should be worried about getting on the right side of God so that we may escape his fire. And the only way to escape is to acknowledge Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Moving on to verses 51 to 53. Jesus says, Do you think I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. I'm trying to figure out who is on which side, you know. Actually, you can. Uh, Yesterday, I told the Saturday service I can't, but I only got as far as daughter and daughter-in-law together, right? Then after that, the other side, who are... Actually, you can, you can tell. This morning when Nigel was reading, I realized you can tell. Okay, you can discuss with me after this. But the point is, people who are closely related to each other will be divided because of Jesus. Husband and wife who are united as one flesh will be split up. A mother who gave birth to a child will be separated from that child. And the opposition is mutual. It's not only the father who opposed the son, the son will oppose the father. It's only the mother who will reject the daughter. The daughter will reject the mother. Just as oil cannot mix with water, those who stand with Jesus can never live in perfect harmony with those who stand against him. The presence of Jesus disrupts relationships because he reveals whether a person's heart truly belongs to God. This situation was foretold by Simeon on the day Jesus was presented at the temple. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Since Jesus exposed the righteous from the unrighteous, the faithful from the unfaithful, the devout from the hypocrites, division is inevitable. Once people learn which side they're on, relationships can never be the same again. Having conducted several rounds of baptism class, I can testify that Jesus truly reveals hearts and divides families. I've seen first-generation believers start off optimistic that their families will be supportive of their baptism. After all, their families know that they've been attending church, hanging out with Christians, Furthermore, their family members do not appear to be very serious about their own religion. Or better yet, they are free thinkers. Hence, chances of these new believers getting baptized with their family's blessings, even having their families present at the baptism service, seems quite high. However, after they've gone home to share their intentions, they will return to me to say that their parents or their grandparents or their husband or wife object to their baptism. Because Christianity is not the traditional religion of the family. Or if they continue with the church, they should not be baptized. Or maybe it's a better idea to get baptized later, after marriage. Of course, there are also instances when a new believer chooses to delay baptism because they already know that their families are against it. When push comes to shove, when a commitment is demanded, Even the most tolerant and open family member, even the most progressive freethinker, can turn around to oppose our allegiance to Christ. 
Jesus tells us in this teaching that division is to be expected. Anyone who is not with us will be against us. When confronted with Jesus Christ, those who are not on his side will reveal themselves to be enemies of God and enemies of the church. And they will remain enemies until they themselves turn to acknowledge Jesus Christ. Opposition to our faith does not end with baptism and division is not confined within the household. Because if being a Christian is a lifestyle, then we will continue to be opposed for the rest of our lives. And if we can be divided from our closest family members, then we can be separated from every other person around us. The reality is we will be opposed in our schools, in our offices, in our social circles. We can be alienated by every non-Christian classmate, friend, colleague, boss or business partner regardless of how close we may be. They will reject our values, such as our position on abortion, marriage and divorce, 377A and other moral issues. They will frown on our work ethics, such as how we insist on doing everything by the book instead of exploiting loopholes in the system. They will despise our lifestyle choices, how we prioritise children and elderly parents over our career, and give our money to the church instead of making an investment with them. And since the opposition is both ways, we will find ourselves rejecting their values, work ethics, and lifestyle choices as well, those which are not consistent with biblical teachings. Opposition can come in varying degrees. It could be that you can never talk about Jesus without getting into an argument with them. It could be that you can talk about him, but no one is really listening. Or maybe at every given opportunity, they will test your commitment to Jesus, try to tempt you to do something against your faith. Whatever it is, the presence of opposition is ironically evidence that we are on the right side with Jesus. Previously, we saw that Jesus will divide humankind during the final judgment in heaven. But in fact, the division begins here on earth. Thus, when those around you oppose your decision to be baptized, when people around you reject you because you're a Christian, take comfort in the fact that you have a family in the church and a home with Jesus here and hereafter. We'll now look at the teachings which needs more explanation. In verses 54 to 56, Jesus also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? The present time refers to the time of God's visitation. In other words, the time that Jesus is living as a man on earth. And using two everyday examples, Jesus demonstrates that interpreting the meaning of his life on earth is not difficult. It is as easy as knowing that rain is coming when the cloud rises up in the western horizon. It is easy as knowing that heat wave is coming when the wind begins to blow from the south. It is as easy as knowing that the mid-autumn festival is coming when merchants start advertising mooncakes. 
And this is where we insert our commercial. Now I've got a QR code to sign up. Huh? And the Roses Committee would like me to tell you that uh, this is, I mean, if you've been to this event before, yeah, sure, but you know, this is mainly for outreach. Lah. So if you've been before, do come with a friend. Huh? Okay, talking to the ladies. All right. Back to your ordinary scheduled program. Uh, since it's easy to interpret the time, Jesus accuses them of being hypocrites because they pretend that they don't know what it means. They pretend that they don't know Jesus is their savior. They pretend that they don't know the final judgment is coming. And Jesus follows up with another accusation in verse 57. And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? This time, Jesus is accusing them of not knowing how to judge between right and wrong. Sorry, of knowing how to judge between right and wrong, but not doing it for themselves. Case in point, earlier in the day, someone in the crowd was just asking Jesus to judge between him and his brother because he wants his brother to divide inheritance with him. Pastor preached on this a couple of weeks ago. It seems quite common for people in those days to go around looking for wise men to settle their personal disputes. But Jesus tells them that they can judge for themselves. They do not need a third party to help them settle their problems. Wonder if you realize that these two accusations that Jesus is making rather sound like affirmations. He was telling the crowds, you're not interpreting the present time, but you can do it, leh. You're not judging your own cases, but you know how, leh. Doesn't that sound affirming to you? So what is Jesus trying to do with these teachings? To appreciate our Lord's intentions, we need to look at another piece of context. You see, even earlier that day, Jesus set a man free from a mute demon, and the man could finally speak. Everyone who witnessed this exorcism marveled at what Jesus has done. And the parallel account in Matthew 12 tells us that the people were wondering if Jesus is the son of David, that is, the promised Messiah. But then the Pharisees said, the Pharisees were the ones who said, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. From this incident, we recognize that Jesus was accurate in his assessment. The crowds can interpret the present time for themselves. Judging from what Jesus has been doing during his time with them, they were arriving at the right conclusion. They know in their hearts that Jesus is the Messiah. However, the Pharisees made the people doubt themselves by introducing contradictory interpretations for what they've seen. Are you sure he is the son of David? Looks more like a demon to me using their religious status and societal influence, the Pharisees turned the people away from the truth and hence the crowds remained undecided, even against Jesus. Our Lord knew that the hearts and minds of the people had become dull because of the false teachings of the Pharisees and they can no longer decide for themselves because they've become dependent on other people's opinions. And so now we understand why Jesus was affirming the crowds. He did it to set their hearts and minds free from the ungodly influence of the Pharisees. By telling them that they do know how to interpret the times, 
He restores their confidence in their personal wisdom. By telling them that they do know how to judge between right and wrong, he renews their trust in their own discernment. There is no need to listen to other people's opinions about Jesus. There is no need to rely on other people's judgments. They can think and decide for themselves based on what they have seen. And Jesus believes that they are capable of responding in the right way when they know the truth. Therefore, he presses in with a final illustration. As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the very last penny. Since Jesus has been the one making the accusations, the crowds would have realized that Jesus is the accuser in this illustration, and they are his debtors. Together, they are on the way to the magistrate, which represents the final judgment. And in the meantime, Jesus is inviting them to reconcile with him. Make an effort to judge for yourselves. Confess your sins and settle with me here and now. And the only way to settle with him is to pledge allegiance to him. If they respond to the invitation, if they reconcile with Jesus, then there is no judgment nor condemnation. But if they do not respond to the invitation, if they choose to remain undecided, then God will decide for them. God will judge them to be cursed and they will go away into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. My friends, you look like a wise and discerning people who can judge for yourselves what is right. You don't need to listen to other people's opinions about Jesus. You don't need to rely on other people's judgments about him. You can make your own decision about him based on what you see and hear from the Bible. And indeed, many of you have already pledged your allegiance to Jesus Christ. Many of you have suffered your fair share of opposition in your social circle outside of church. People have labelled you, taunted you, tested you with difficult questions and tried to trap you in what you say to find fault with our God. Today, Jesus says, in spite of the opposition you are facing, you are right to follow him. In spite of other people's contradictory opinions about him, you are right to choose him. Because you have acknowledged him before men, he will also acknowledge you before the angels of God. Therefore, lift up your heads. Don't be intimidated. Don't hide your identity as a Christian. Remember that those who shame us now have nothing more that they can do. But God is able to remove that shame and bring you to glory at the final judgment. To the rest of you who have not yet decided, and also to those who have decided based on other people's opinions, whether for or against Jesus, Jesus is inviting you to reconsider and judge for yourselves. As you think about his invitation again, may I suggest to you that you put away other people's opinions about him. If only for a moment, forget what your grandparents think, forget what your parents think, 
Forget what your uncles and aunties have said to you. Put aside the comments, remarks and opinions about Jesus and his church that you have read or heard in social media or elsewhere. I dare say, even what Christians around you have tried to share with you, forget those things. But looking objectively at the Jesus Christ revealed in the Bible, ask yourself, if the final judgment is real, will you follow Jesus? If the final judgment is coming, do you want Jesus to be on your side? Let's so bring note. Let's take the time to reflect on God's word.